Good morning, Real Life. Today we're going to begin a series called The Battle. And we're just going to introduce it today and lay down some foundation, but you're going to learn some things today. Today's the title, God is a Warrior. There's a battle in heavens, and this is an invisible battle. There's a supernatural warfare going on all the time, all around us, 24-7. And this demands our undivided attention. At stake, your eternity. My eternity. Hey, everybody's got a goal. We're all going to heaven. So let's start here. What's your view of heaven? Maybe you're not even sure there is such a place. Or do you imagine dazzling light and, and streets of gold and pearly gates? That may, might be true, but that's not the complete picture. Everybody seems to have an idea of heaven, and everybody's going. You go to any funeral of anybody, well, they're in heaven now. Did you ever consider the biblical account? What is heaven? Or let me blow your mind. Did you consider multiple heavens? Does the word heaven represent multiple places? Are there actually levels of heaven? Does that surprise you? Now, first of all, I don't understand. Nobody can understand eternity. It's beyond our imagination. I think if anybody comes to you and says, I totally understood heaven and hell and all this, walk away from them. I don't totally understand it. No one can imagine. In fact, I can't even grasp eternity. I totally get finite. I understand start and stop. I, I can't wrap my mind around no stop. I can't wrap my mind around something that is eternal. So what do we know? Well, we know this. You're eternal, whatever that is. You're a spirit housed in a body. Your body's not eternal. I'm a spirit. And when God created us, me and you, human beings, he breathed in us. That's critical. He didn't breathe in the animals, didn't breathe in the sheep, didn't breathe in the fish, didn't breathe in the clouds, didn't breathe in the trees. He breathed in us. His breath is, his breath is eternal. So you are eternal. That spirit, the real you that's housed in a body, that's eternal. And once we end this earthly life and the real you is released from that body, your eternal destiny is fixed. The word even says there's a great gulf in between heaven and hell, and nobody goes back and forth. There's also a judgment. No, I can't explain all the nuances of the judgment, but I know there is one. Why? Well, because God promised it. Now, this judgment is not to judge who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. That's set at death. That's set. This judgment is where you will be in heaven or hell. We're talking about multiple destinations of hell, multiple destinations of heaven. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But this judgment deals with where are, where are you going to be? What was our obedience to Christ? Does the word say this? Absolutely. Here's the promise of what we will receive in our eternity based on our life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Please the Lord. That's good. That's good advice. I want to live my life that I please the Lord. Please the Lord so that because all must stand before Christ and be judged. Each one of us will receive what we have done in our body, whether it's good or bad, for all the things we've done in our earthly body. I will not have the same reward as St. Paul. And I really believe that my reward will exceed the thief on the cross. Somehow in our eternal state, whatever that is, I'm with you. 
whatever that is, jealousy must not exist. Other side of the coin, someone who frankly was a good person. They were a good mother, a good father, a good provider, high morals, but never accepted Christ. Do not have the blood of Christ covering them. Their hell is going to be very different than someone like Hitler. Heaven and hell are not a single place, but multiple levels. Again, this is so frustrating for me. I'm trying to teach something I don't totally understand. I'm just trying to teach what the word says. So where do you get the idea that heaven is not a single place, but multiple levels? Well, we're told in the Bible about a guy who went straight to the third level. He went to the third heaven. Does the Bible say that? Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with the second verse. Paul says, I know a man who was taken up to the third heaven. Third heaven, 14 years ago. And I know this man was taken up by paradise. He heard things he's not able to explain, obviously. And no humans are allowed to tell. Theologians believe this man is himself, Paul. But there must be at least a third, maybe there's more, but we know there's at least a third heaven, and he defines it as paradise. He says, what's there cannot be explained, cannot be uttered. It is so sacred, so holy, it cannot be repeated. Now, paradise in the Greek here is literally garden. It describes a garden of heaven. <laughs> On the cross, this is where Jesus promised that thief. Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He's very specific. The book of Revelation, so much on heaven, so much on eternity, again, more than we can grasp, talks about mid-heavens. Well, if there's only one, there's no mid. There's levels. It talks about mid-heaven? Yeah. Revelation 8.13. And I looked. I heard an angel flying through mid-heaven, saying in a loud voice, Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast the trumpets of the three angels are about to sound. In that Greek, literally, it is mid-heaven, referring to a place in the middle of others. That term is repeated over and over and over in Revelation, in fact. Revelation 14.6. Then I saw an angel flying in mid-heaven, having everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Let's keep going. Revelations 19.7. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly now in mid-heaven, come, gather together, the supper of the great God. So we know precisely there is at least a second heaven. Is that mid between first heaven, whatever that is, and third heaven, which we know is paradise? After paradise, are there more? We don't know. We don't. But the Bible talks about multiple places referring to heaven. And in this eternal sphere, you heard it talk a lot about angels. Let's take a second here. What are they? The term angel comes from the Greek angelos, which literally means messenger. So angels, therefore, are viewed as messenger. But not all angels are messengers. Archangels a whole lot more than a messenger. Therefore, we understand they have various functions in this warfare story and warfare series. They are sent and designed by God's purposes. Scripture makes clear. There are a third of those angels that fell. We'll talk about that later. They are demons. A third of them fell when Satan rebelled 
and follow him. A third of what? We don't know how many angels there are. Billions, trillions, gazillions. Is that a word? We really don't know. But however multitude many that maybe more than we can count, a third of them are involved in this warfare. On the other side, demons of the enemy. So Gene, you figured it all out. No, I, I, I'm going to keep saying over and over and over. All we could do is what the word tells us and go from there. It's beyond our imagination. But we want to stay with what do we do know? These angels, demons continually clash. There is a war. This war is really defined very well for us all throughout the book of Daniel. We're going to get into that later, I promise. This is just the foundation. Kind of want to get you going here. But there is this inescapable fact. It is a scene of continued conflict. It's not confined to earth, but it goes in the invisible world. Angels are messengers. We read about guardian angels, warriors who are constantly engaging the enemy. It's an invisible warfare. And this warfare will end when eternity for all begins. But never forget, this is a war. Until the end of time when Satan and his angels, his demons, his followers will be banished to the lake of fire. It is in the heavenly regions that this war takes place. It is here that Satan pours out slanderous accusations against Christians. You're involved. Those who are serving the Lord, Satan is slandering you 24-7. Revelations 12-10. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that's me and you, who accuses them before God day and night. Now, Revelations makes clear. Satan will be cast down from the heavens. But until that happens, he must be able to occupy some level of the heavens, probably not paradise, that's a holy place, but some level of these heavens, he must have some ability to occupy because he goes before the Lord. We've got to be realistic about Satan's activities. He's not confined to hell yet. He's going to be. He's roaming the earth. It says he's roaming the earth like a wild lion. Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God, sons of God, angels, came to present him before the Lord in the heavens, plural. And Satan came with them. Kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? So the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, Going to and fro from the earth, walking back and forth on it. This takes no convincing. Again, do we understand everything I want to say over and over and over? It's more than we can comprehend, but the Bible tells us some things. Life is a struggle. And we're surrounded by evil. The earth is Satan's. Wow. Back that up. All right. Read today's newspaper. Read tomorrow's newspaper. I'm a prophet. It's going to tell you about somebody who got murdered. We're living through a virus. Abortion clinics are wide open. Churches are closed. I'm not trying to get political. But how many symptoms do we need? The earth belongs to Satan. Let me nail this down. At the temptation of Jesus, Satan comes to Jesus. You ready for this? He says, the earth is mine, and I offer you all the kingdoms of the earth. All the kingdoms of the world because the earth is mine. Remember that temptation? Jesus doesn't correct them. The earth 
belongs to Satan. So if you're serving Christ, you're in enemy territory. You're, you're swimming upstream. If you want to float downstream, that's fine. But you may not be serving Christ. You're living in enemy territory here if you're serving Christ. Read tomorrow's paper. That's why the word says, don't ever stop meeting together. I can't wait till we meet together again. The word says, you got to be together. you got to support one another because you're in a war and you're in enemy territory. The world belongs to Satan and he's told it to Christ. It is mine. I'll offer you every kingdom of the world. Jesus doesn't correct him at this point because it's true. See, too many of us accept things as a fact without raising questions. Why do we have all the conflict in the world? Why do we have all the hatred in the world? Why is half the world starving today? Because the world belongs to Satan. We've accepted something as normal that we shouldn't. And so now, living in enemy territory, the word, make, the word makes clear. If you serve Christ, you are a spiritual soldier. This is not just for those exceptional followers. Every single one of us must be prepared for warfare in the spiritual realm. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read verses 3 to 5. For we live in the world. We do not wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We'll get into strongholds, I promise. There's a lot here. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. We take captive everything around us and make it obedient to Christ. Paul is speaking to all followers. That's me and you. We wage war, not in the flesh, but in a spiritual realm. And we are here to demolish strongholds. As the series progresses, we'll talk more about strongholds. Again, that's just the foundation. There's so much here. But Paul uses the wording. There's four, four words that he uses in that, in that short passage. War, weapons, demolished, taken captive. This is war. And you're in it. This is essential to the Christian life. Now, some good news. We're designed to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Satan's trying to stop us, not the other way around. We are always on the offensive. If you're living your life in the defensive, you miss something somewhere. Matthew 16, 18. On this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's us. In those days, the gates was the city's point of weakness. You attack through the gate, not the wall. Invading forces would attack through the gate. And Jesus here is promising the church will take the offensive and we will storm the gate of Satan's strongholds and penetrating that gate and he can't keep us out. So, Paul charges young Timothy. Paul is a mentor to Timothy. And it's a mentor relationship that these books are. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, Timothy, my child. You, you see it, don't you? I'm giving you a command that agrees with the prophecies that were given to you in the past. I tell you this, that you can follow them and fight the good fight. Fight the fight. Some translations Wage the good war. Timothy, you're a warrior. He continues the same thing in his second letter to his beloved Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You, therefore, 
must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Interesting wording, huh? No one is engaged in spiritual entangles himself with the affairs of the world. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in this life. We must please him who has enlisted us as a soldier. You came to Christ, you enlisted. Who enlists us as a soldier. You came to Christ, you enlisted. You changed armies from the enemy to light. Paul assures Timothy, you are engaged in a warfare and you have been enlisted. Therefore, you conduct yourself like a soldier. You're not a civilian, Timothy. And by the way, real life church, you're not a civilian either. Neither am I. We can't live like civilians as we're soldiers. Paul is driving this home. You can't live like other people. You have a special calling. You have a unique responsibility. You have a unique gift. You're set apart. You're a follower of Christ. And you're at war. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Again, do you notice the interesting point here? Not only the warfare, but in heavenly places places. Heaven is always referred to in the plural. Paul would have seen the days of the Olympics. He was into that stuff. The dominant thing of the Olympics of those days were, of course, not just the speed, but the wrestlers. Wrestlers involve the entire person. It will drain you. Here he says, we're not wrestling against another person. We're wrestling against spiritual beings who are not limited to earth, but extended into the heavenlies, plural. That's the Christian life. Christian life isn't, isn't harpsichords and tulips. If you're committed, warfare has got to be part of your entire spiritual experience. It's as if our true government, the government of God, is at war. So we're at war. December 7th. 1941, Japanese Navy dropped bombs on the American base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. America then declared war on Japan. All Americans took part in this war. If you didn't, you were seen as somewhat delinquent. But they all had a choice. They could participate in the Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, National Guard. They could work in a plant, making airplanes and tanks. But every single person was called on to do something in this war. Well, that's the spiritual realm. We are at war. We're required to take our place as soldiers. And we're given different fields. You have different gifts, different fields of service. But our military commander, God, calls us and says, you are gifted in this area. This is your area of warfare. Be at war. Exodus 15.3. The song of Moses, as they're passing through the Red Sea, and they're seeing God's judgment annihilating the enemy, Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, a man of war. Does it throw you sometimes how many verses are talking about war? The next verse, Exodus 15.4, the very next verse, their, their, their song continues. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies have been cast in the sea. His chosen captains have been drawn by the Red Sea. God is a military commander who annihilates the enemy. I want to be a soldier with God. He's a man of war. The title of the sermon, God is a warrior. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua has now seen those massive targets, Jericho. 
That's the target, and those walls are incredible. He's got to come up with a plan to defeat those walls and attack. He's off by himself. An unbelievable event happens. As he's by himself, someone appears to Joshua. And it's not an ordinary man, this conversation. Joshua 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. Listen to this carefully. And it came to pass... As Joshua was alone by Jericho, he lifted his eyes, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword in his hand, drawn. Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or our adversaries? He said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face and worshipped. He said to him, What does the Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet. For where you stand now is holy. And Joshua did so. The Holy One is commanding Joshua. Theologians who recognize there are certain episodes in the Old Testament where Jesus, who always was, appears, believe this is Jesus commanding Joshua. And this commander of the hosts, potentially Jesus, the commander, how does he come to Joshua? With a sword drawn is how he comes. I am the captain of the army of the hosts, and I come with my sword. He's a warrior. Psalm 24, 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. There is, in fact, more than 100 passages that refer to the Lord of hosts. I'm going to read them all to you now. No. Why else would we call this God is a warrior? Because he is. And who are the hosts? That angelic army that we can more than imagine? And you. It uses this terminology. Look at the prophecy of God's judgment on Babylon. Isaiah 13.4 The noise of the multitude in the mountains, like that of many people. Tumultuous noise of the kingdoms that gather all together. The Lord of hosts musters his army for battle. He's a warrior. He musters his army for battle. Me and you and billions and billions and billions and trillions and zillions of angels. He has a mighty army that he musters for battle. And you are involved. If you're not serving Jesus, you're involved. Because the meaning of life is pretty simple. People are trying to figure it out. Let me give it to you. You were on earth. You were designed. You were built. You were created to give God glory. So it ends. That's your only reason that you're here. Your job should give God glory. Your marriage relationship should give God glory. The way you raise your kids should give God glory. The way you use your money and your resources should give God glory. On and on and on. Everything about you is designed to give God glory. If that's not happening, then Satan has won the war. Because his design is to come to God and accuse using you and say, let me show you a way that that person, you, is not giving God glory. By the way, the only way you can reach your potential is to give God glory because he designed you for your potential. As you rob God of glory, then you're robbing yourself of your potential and you're giving Satan a weapon to use and he's using you. Maybe you like the teachings of Jesus and you somewhat live by them, frankly. You've just never called him Lord. That's Judas. Every disciple, not every disciple is quoted in the Bible, but every disciple that is quoted calls Jesus Lord, except Judas. 
Judas is quoted. He's always calling him teacher. Not one time, never, does Judas call him Lord. And every other disciple, when they're quoted, at some point call him Lord. Judas calls him teacher. Oh, so now, do you like his teaching? Or do you call him Lord? Do you try to live by the good book? Or do you call him Lord? Do you like the church? Or is Jesus Lord? Sometimes it comes down to pretty simple stuff. We need to declare at some point, even, even in, in the foundation, the beginning of the series, whose side are you on? You say, well, Gene, all in all, I kind of thought I was neutral. You've been lied to. You've been fooled. And you become a fool. A spiritual fool is neutral. Whose side are you on? Do you like the church? Do you like the teachings? Or is Jesus Lord? And he's getting glory from your life because you're in a battle. We've got to challenge ourselves here. Because I think Satan has been effective at really just making the unimportant seem really important and the really important seem unimportant and secondary. He fills our life with so much stuff. He fills our life with the miscellaneous while we miss the war that's going on that you're involved in and Satan accuses you. I invite you now by a computer to finally say Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've been part of real life for a long time. That's great. Maybe you're just kind of beginning to watch. Welcome. We're glad to have you. No matter where you are on some, some walk, have you ever said Jesus in heaven? Be my Lord. I want to have prayer with you right now. Father, I pray for your presence, your spirit to be in these homes. May they realize this is a sacred time right now. And God in heaven, I've called myself a Christian, but I'm not sure you've been Lord. I've been as good as Judas. I really like you. I've been as good as Judas. I declare you my teacher. But I've never surrendered all of me. God in heaven, forgive me. I want to be a soldier in your host. Where I have sinned, forgive me. That I might know you and declare Jesus is Lord. Amen. Next week, every soldier has the right to know how this thing began. Where did this war begin? How did it begin? What caused Satan to, to flip? And how did he talk all those other angels to flipping? How did the war begin? Every soldier's got to know that. We rallied around Pearl Harbor because we know how it began. Next week, I want to lay out, how did this thing begin in the heavens? And by the way, how did it come down to us? How did we get involved? How the war began and how the human race entered in. It's important to know if you're going to fight the war. Thank you for worshiping with us and may God bless you.